Um, in a week's time, um, well, a week and a day to be precise, um, Chris and I will be in Washington, D.C. And on our first full day there, we're going to see um, the Museum of the Bible, which in fact is the biggest of its kind in the world. It was opened two or three years ago. And apparently the total footage of that museum is 430,000 feet. Um, it has eight stories, and it co- uh, the Americans always do things in a big way, don't they? It cost over $500 million, which at today's rate is about $377 million. Pounds. And uh, the guide tells you that if you wish to see everything in the museum, um, you will need nine eight-hour days. Well, we're only spending one day there, the Tuesday, uh, so we're not going to see half of it. And when I thought about that, I thought it's like that with the Bible. Um, I've been studying it now since I was 16 years of age, but there is so much to still learn and discover about it. Newer insights, a better understanding of revelation, fresh promises. But unfortunately, even in the church, and it's good that you're having this Bible course, um, biblical illiteracy is something that's quite alarming. We have many, many different versions of the Bible, from the old King James Version right through to modern paraphrases, and um, they're all very, very helpful. Uh, But how much serious consumption of the Bible is really going on, even among Christian people? Let's be honest, we can be food fed fed on on Sundays in a sermon. Uh, But what about us as individuals? The Bible which we say we love as Christians, is it a blessing or is it boring? And the passage that we're looking at in tonight's um, talk, um, that one in... um, Can we have it on the screen, please? Just go into PowerPoint, Alan. Um, It'll just come on straight away then. I always come early to Church Lane because for some reason your system has blips in it. Are we getting there? Anyway, let's just carry on while they're fiddling with that. Okay, we had it working perfectly earlier. The passage we're looking at tonight tells us um, that the Scriptures are God-breathed. And this is what that passage says, just to remind you. um, 
From infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are we winning, fellas? Okay. (laughs) Your system is... uh, So, just run it off PowerPoint. It'll be much easier. All right, just run run it straight off the desktop. Ah, for every good work, right, okay. So, um, to be honest with you, there's part of the um, NIV version there I don't like. And if we had it on the screen, I'd show you. It it says it's useful for teaching. Uh, Frankly, I don't think that's strong enough. I prefer the old King James version. It is profitable. For teaching, I think that's much stronger. I'm going to say more about that in a moment. But um, I want us to have a look closely at the Bible now. And there are, as I see it from that, those three verses, there are four reasons why it's very, very important for us to read the Bible um, and study it. The first one, are we getting there, fellas? Just run it in PowerPoint without easy worship and it will come straight on. Okay? Right, the first reason why we should study the Bible is because it is the Word of God. That passage says it is God-breathed. Oh, it says it, hey, good, great. Right, go to the next slide, please. Thanks very much. The first reason why we should read the Bible is because it's the Word of God. And the passage says it is God-breathed, which means it's inspired. Another verse in the New Testament speaks about this, and this is what it says. No prophecy of Scripture... Um, is of any private interpretation or a prophet's private interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what that conjures up in your mind. Uh, Do you think that the 40 writers... I thought Alan was going to preach my sermon tonight. The 40 writers of the Bible... They got their quills, they got the parchment in front of them, and because they were inspired, suddenly the twills started moving involuntarily. Is that what we mean by inspiration? No, we don't mean that at all. Among the authors, uh, about 40, were um, priests, prisoners, kings, peasants, shepherds, simple fishermen, and they wrote from places as far-flung as Israel and Rome, um, Babylon, Persia, and um, 
from the Aegean Sea, the Isle of Patmos, the last book of the Bible. And they wrote, your note says 1,500 years. I think it was more likely 1,600 years the Bible was written. And uh, it's an amazing thing. They had one message with no, and I emphasize this word, with no proven contradictions, simply because they were inspired by one divine author. So as Christians, it's our belief that that harmony establishes beyond doubt that the Bible is the word of God. Now, what a mess their textbook would have been if they weren't inspired. Can you imagine being treated from a medical book over a period of a thousand years? If you were followers of Poldart, the doctor on Poldart, which is on tonight at nine o'clock, by the way, is, um, it was a very clever man in his day, but you wouldn't like to be treated by that doctor today. Um, they put leeches on your skin. Um, they made you eat part of a frog. There were spirit incantations. There was witchcraft and the lot. Goodness knows all those things in an attempt to make you well. Um, when I was the pastor of Stafford Elam, when the old hospital was closing, I was asked, as the nearest, quote, vicar, to say a prayer at the closing service. And they had on display there all the instruments that they used when that hospital opened in the year of American independence, 1700 and whenever it was. And goodness me, you, you would need a, a government health warning to use some of those things today. So if you were following a medical book to make you well today, over a thousand years, it would probably make you worse than better. But the Bible, even though it's an ancient book, has a relevancy for today. It's withstood the test of time and it stands unharmed by true science. But what we need to understand is that the Bible is not set out in scientific terms. Um, incidentally, the 40 writers of the Bible, though they were inspired were very, very different. Let me give you one example of what I mean. Isaiah, you know, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, writes as a kind of, we would say today, a city gent. But Amos, um, I love to listen to country folk. Um, we're doing a lot of alterations, as some of you know in our church at the moment. Every week things change. And uh, at a prayer meeting the other day, a farmer's girl, some of you will know her, Jean Cantrell, we were saying about all the things that were moving in the farm, uh, in the church. And she said, not like moving a farm. <laughs> not like moving a farm, he said. Well, Amos was a farmer. And Amos didn't write like Isaiah. He wrote like a, a, like a countryman. But both Amos and Isaiah and all the other 40 writers were inspired. Um, but I, I repeat, the Bible is not set out in scientific terms. That does not mean the Bible contradicts science. I'll give you two examples of what I mean. For instance, when people thought the world was flat, 
And if you went so far, you'd fall off into the abyss. This is what the book of Isaiah says. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That's Isaiah 40 and verse 22. Why would they write that when people thought the world was flat? Because the writer, Isaiah, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's another example. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, which talks about the earth in the final days being destroyed by fire. Scientists said that's absolute nonsense, it won't happen. But unfortunately, atomic warfare has made that a grim reality. But I repeat, the Bible is not a scientific book. It is a spiritual book. It tells us why people were created, not how they were created. It doesn't deny science, but facts are not put in scientific terms. But though the Bible is inspired, do I need to tell you that our interpretation of the Bible isn't inspired? Whether we are ex-brethren, Pentecostals, Baptists or whoever, our interpretation of the Bible is not inspired. And sometimes we interpret it incorrectly. Quite frankly, over the years, I've heard some weird and dogmatic statements made about passages of Scripture that, quite frankly, I find bizarre. In interpreting the Bible, there are four main questions we need to ask ourselves. First of all, what does it actually say? You might think that's an odd question, but some people make sure it says what they want it to say. So when you read a passage of Scripture, you've got to say, what, what is the writer actually saying here? The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and partially Aramaic, which was the language Jesus spoke. And the New Testament is written in Greek. Today we have English translations, and apart from paraphrases where bits have been added, modern versions of the Bible written in English, we can be fairly confident that they're trustworthy and accurate. So what does the scripture actually say? We've got to read it in context. The next question we've got to ask is what does the passage actually mean? You know, is it, in the, as Alan said, in the poetry section? Is it in the prophetical section? Is it apocalyptic? Is it law? Is it wisdom? Is it gospel? And depending on which of those passages of Scripture we, must, we are reading, we must read them in different ways. For instance, you may disagree with me here, but I'm going to say it in any case, much of what we read in Revelation is apocrypha, it's symbolic. So if you read that too literally, then you'll come up, and I've heard, I've heard, I've heard everything over the years, do you remember that fellow who used to come around our churches? He'd worked out every single verse in Revelation. You'll come up with some weird views if you're not careful. The next thing we must ask in interpreting Scripture, and this is very, very important, what did the passage mean to the person who wrote it? Or the person who first read it or heard it? 
We read the Bible with a Western mind. We have to actually read it with a Jewish mind or get behind the Jewish mind to understand what it's actually saying. And we need to ask ourselves, has anything happened subsequently to alter our understanding? Again, you may disagree with me here, and I take a risk saying this in the next Brethren Church, but culture about women wearing hats and things like that, and a woman's role, you know, a woman shall be saved by childbearing, work that one out, has got to be read in the context, in the culture in which it is written. So culture can affect your understanding of Scripture. And then, secondly, we, we have got to read Scripture with an understanding that the coming of Christ in the New Testament will give us a greater understanding of an Old Testament passage. Some verses, like the one Alan quoted, about him being wounded for our transgressions, are obvious. But others we've got, to, we've got to see in the light of Jesus. Because as Jesus himself said, the Scriptures testify about me. John 5.39 And the last question we should ask in interpreting Scripture is this. How does it apply to my life? It must be applied to our daily living. Otherwise, reading Scripture just becomes an intellectual exercise. Now, apart from what the Bible says about itself, proving it to be the Word of God, uh, we also have outside evidence of that, scholarly evidence. Um, in the time I, I... I'm really running out of time to... I'll get through this as quick as I can... Um, for instance, a biblical archaeologist called A.H. Sayers says this, the archaeological discoveries of the last 30 years have, with hardly an exception, been dead against the most confident decisions of the mere literary critic and in favour of the trustworthiness of the biblical records. Another um, archaeologist said this, all my discoveries over the past few years have confirmed my belief in the Bible as being the Word of God. But reading the Bible ourselves is really the greatest test. If we read it regularly, we know it's inspired. Why? Because it inspires us. Okay? So that's the first reason why we should read the Bible. Because it is the Word of God. The second reason why we should read the Bible and study it is because it's the wisdom of God. Um, Paul says, writing to Timothy, the scriptures are able to make us wise. Um, Non-Christians might think we're idiots. They might think we're foolish. Um, I love the way they talk about creationists. Well, whatever your view is of how the world started, if you are true to Scripture, as a Christian, you've got to be a creationist. Because the Bible says, in Colossians, by him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
So, um, scientists expect us to believe that everything comes from a blameless, a brainless blob of protoplasm. Uh, people reject miracles, but they'll accept that so-called, inverted commas, scientific miracle that happened billions of years ago. But now even the accuracy of carbon dating is being questioned. And I find in the bit I do understand that scientists keep changing their views as to how the world was created or or the, the world came into existence. That's the wisdom of man. And the Bible says, again Paul speaking, has, got, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? But in the Bible, which certainly doesn't contradict science, thank God we have got the wisdom of God. The third reason why we should read the Bible is not only because it is the word of God, not only because it's the wisdom of God, because it's the way to God. Because Paul goes on to say the scriptures make us wise unto salvation. We would never have discovered the way to God. We would never have become a Christian if we hadn't heard the truth of scripture. Human knowledge doesn't save us. Good works don't save us. Our own faith doesn't save us. But the Bible says in Romans, faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. And these pages have a power of their own, giving understanding and faith. The truth of these pages enter into our thinking, change our will, and then set us free. I'm often reminded of this when I'm praying for people like my elder son who doesn't follow the Lord that reasoning on my part will not convince him. It's got to be revelation. You remember what Jesus said to Simon Peter at Caesarea Philippi when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, for this is not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And it's the same for every one of us who comes to faith. It is God the Holy Spirit who must do that work. Not argument, but revelation. And that comes through the Bible. It's a very old story, but I love the humour behind it. There's the story about an old boy, a bit eccentric, like the the fellows you see with, with billboards, you know, repent and everything. And he used to go around selling Bibles on an old and he sold them very very cheap because he believed it was the word of God and on the side of it on the side of his cart he had these words the devil trembles when he sees Bibles sold as cheap as this (laughs) no wonder because the Bible has a power all of its own and that's why I am I keep hearing report after report after report of people in Islamic countries who get hold of the scriptures, they start reading them and they suddenly see Jesus. Why? Because it's the way to God. And fourthly, we should read the Bible regularly because it teaches us the will of God. 
The scriptures are profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. And as I said earlier, I prefer the, uh, the, the, the new version, which says it, the older version, which says it's profitable rather than just useful. In fact, the, the NEB, um, New English Bible, is even worse. It says that every inspired scripture has its use for teaching, implying that some is inspired and some is not inspired, which is what some modern preachers teach today. They say the Bible contains the Word of God, but the Bible is not necessarily the Word of God. I don't believe that. I believe it's in its entirety. It's the Word of God. But by absorbing Scripture, God's will is stamped on our life. I mean, no doubt when... It certainly happened to me when I was at school. Um, the school teacher would say, Partington, it goes in one ear and comes out of the other. Which means we're not really listening. And I, I probably didn't. I talked too much. Um, but it's like what Jesus said in his parables about the foolish man. He's like the man who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Knowing the Bible in our head isn't enough, we've got to obey it in our will. Uh, the frightening thing about Scripture is that it challenges us when we read it. Not to embarrass us, because the Holy Spirit never embarrasses us, but the Bible challenges us. It's alive and quick, says Hebrews, and is able to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. Or as one writer put it, um, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. Now, I want you to notice what I've put in capitals there. The scriptures are there so that we might be trained in righteousness, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped. That's a very interesting word. In the Greek... It means fitted. When I was a young pastor, in fact, when I came out of college in 1963, I was sent to Greenock in Scotland. I had no idea where Greenock was. It's on the west coast of Scotland. And in those days, on the River Clyde, um, they, I thought that when they launched a ship, it was all ready to sail. But it's just launched as an empty shell. And then, and we had a man in our church who was a master fitter. He fit the church, you know, the ship up before it went into service. And uh, that word translated equipped in the New Testament means fitting us out, like that ship was fitted out. Because God wants us to use the same analogy to sail in the right direction. And then that word in the Greek is also interesting for another reason. Another root meaning of that word is mend. And in that passage, Matthew 4.21, we read there about the disciples mending their nets. They've got holes in. They mended the nets. We have certainly got holes in our life at times. And the scriptures are able to mend us. They're able to repair us. So, four reasons why the Bible is so important. Just to remind you, it's the Word of God, 
It speaks with the wisdom of God. It shows us the way to God. And it teaches us the will of God. Um, I wasn't brilliant at history at school, but we all remember that Alfred burnt the cakes. Any of you not know that? Well, it, it actually, it probably didn't happen. But it's a nice story. He burnt the cakes. But what is fact is that Alfred said, wait for this, Mr. Ofsted. Before anyone was taught anything else at school, they had to be taught the Scriptures. And one of the greatest periods of our history as a nation happened after that. To quote a verse earlier in 2 Timothy verse 15, we must do, our, do ourselves to present ourselves to God as one approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of life. Then, more effectively, we can share scriptures with others. Uh, so to quote one writer, and with this I end, God grant that every one of us will lay hold on the Bible until the Bible lays hold on us. May God bless his word. Sorry I've overrun, but we... Um, we're a bit limited for time. God bless you all. God bless you.